Hi, my name is Kofi Kankam. I'm the CEO of Admit Me and Admit Advantage. You realize that not every candidate's a wow, okay, walk on water. Most candidates that we've seen and most candidates that get into school and I've evaluated have some kind of weakness. So don't feel like having a weakness will preclude you from getting into a top 10, a top 20 program. It won't. However, you need to limit your weaknesses, all right? And so you, you need to make sure that you are addressing and fixing the weaknesses. And so I'll make a, a distinction between writing about a weakness you had versus recognizing you had a weakness and doing something to address it and then writing about it later. That critical step of trying to do something to fix it as opposed to just acknowledging is really, really important. Most of you know that schools have optional essays, right? And if you have multiple points in an optional essay, that's a problem. So if you're writing about you know, weak GPA, poor GMAT, poor work experience, um, you know, if all three of those things are part of your narrative, you know, finishing college in six years, things of that nature, applying while you're unemployed, that if all of those things, if you have more than two, you need to think about, rethink sort of this business school process in terms of timing this year, okay? Realize that there's so many qualified candidates applying. Literally, you know, when I interviewed at Wharton, I remember they told us officially in the training materials, 70% of the people that apply are qualified, 7-0. So if you had a room of 20 applicants, six of them would be terrible, right? Poor GMAT, poor GPA, poor work experience, probably two or three of those. 14 of them would be very good. Like if you took any of those 14 and presented them to the professors and said, here are the people that are going to be in your class, who do you like? The professors would say, actually, they're all really good. Of that qualified 14, for top 10, top 20 programs, you're looking at two to six or seven getting in. 10% to basically, um, you know, 30%. 30% is being generous at the top 20 schools. So that is your competition. And so what you're trying to do is give yourself an opportunity to shine while also not making such a critical mistake that you are making the admissions committees who have very difficult jobs um, you're not making it super easy for them just to ding you because there's someone else um, who's coming along who's also qualified, right? It's definitely a seller's market in a lot of ways, unfortunately, for all of you and for all of us uh, when we applied. One of the things which you don't want to do, and I just want to briefly mention this because I get this question probably probably three to seven times a week um, about a G, GMAT that starts with a seven and candidates want to write an optional essay. So yes, the GMAT scores, the mean and medians have gone up over the last 10 years. Uh, you know, when I applied to Wharton before, uh, about 12 years ago, I'm moving forward. And I want to make a clear distinction here. So for example, if you have a, let's call it, you have a 2.9, and you're applying to a school that's got a 3.4 to 3.5 mean GPA, right? You stating that I have, you know, a poor GPA, going to come to school, business school, I'm going to work really hard and do much better. That obviously is somewhat beneficial, but saying that you've got a poor GPA, you recognize your undergrad GPA, and then you took supplemental classes in accounting and finance and stats and economics and got A's in those courses, that is actually addressing those weaknesses, right? And that gives you a much more compelling narrative to write about saying, look, it's, you know, I didn't do well. I was unfocused. I had to get acclimated. I, I didn't do well initially. I finally figured it out my junior, senior year. I recognize that my, my GPA is below the mean. 
I actually went out and took classes in these fields. I, I live in New York, the NYU School of Continuing Professional Studies. I got A's in those courses. And I'm ready to sort of, any, I implemented the lessons that I learned from undergrad to do well in those courses. And I'm ready to bring that knowledge and, and have a second look at this material. I, I'll be seeing these, these classes for the second time. I'm looking to do that when I go to business school. That's compelling, right? That's much more compelling than the first. So make sure that you're separating writing about the weaknesses, just writing about, I should say, versus addressing and trying to fix the weakness and write about it, right? Those two are not the same. And we see candidates trip up all the time saying, well, you know, I have a bad GPA. I'm applying in round two. And I say, well, how long have you known you had a bad GPA? And they say, you know, three years. And I'm saying, well, why didn't you do anything about it, right? Um, so just keep that in mind. A limited quantitative background. This is something I actually debated whether or not I should even include, because I'm not sure how much of a weakness it definitely is. But I will say that, you know, it does put more pressure on you to do well on your GMAT, right? And potentially even take the GMAT as opposed to the GRE. So if you're not a quantitative major and you didn't do that well on your GMAT, that's a problem. Um, if you did, if you majored in English, you have a 36 and you got a 730 in your GMAT, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't even write an optional essay. I think you kind of already proved the point. I'd be more so focused on my communication skills. Now I can marry that with sort of proven analytical ability. If you're really quite concerned about it, uh, let's say you have didn't major in anything quantitative and your grades are a little bit shoddy, and let's say you went to a school that you don't feel is really well known, you may follow the supplemental course advice that I just mentioned in the previous slide. If you have a non-quantitative career, think about you know whether or not they're analytical or quantitative aspects of your job. You know, we had a woman we worked with that's been our sort of our candidate success story webinar who uh, worked in a major uh, retail like a Barney's or Saks or Chanel, a company like that. And she was an English major and her job wasn't that quantitative, but we focused on the quantitative aspects of her job. We asked her recommenders to focus on those things as well. Okay. And so we made it just by what we decided to write about. We kind of over-indexed on that, and it became a really strong point for her background. She ended up getting into, actually, off Harvard and in, um, in Stanford, which just went to Harvard, uh, graduated in 11 or 12, I can't remember, okay? Same thing, though, taking the class, and think about, for those of you that are challenged by this, either non-quantitative major or non-quantitative career, those are things that you do sort of officially in terms of, like, what you study and what you do professionally. However, Think about things you know outside of your job. So, you know, you can do things. Maybe you join some group teaching kids sort of finance and you sort of do technical aspects or maybe you're coding something, right? Think about the quantitative things that you can do outside of your job to kind of demonstrate uh, capacity and strength in that. So maybe you're an investor, right? A lot of the great investors didn't major in anything, uh, you know, quantitative undergrad. So if you've got a personal portfolio, or managing your family's finances, this is definitely something you can highlight to demonstrate that quantitative skills and try to shore up that issue in your background. If you are a poor interviewer, think about basically what you can do to make yourself feel more comfortable. So knowing your story, right? In terms of, you know, you should be an expert on kind of why you want an MBA, why you want it from that school, why you want it now. You should be an expert on kind of what your goals are for the first three to five years, the short term five plus years. Um, you should be reading your application prior to actually stepping in the arena with, with an interviewer, and you should know what the weaknesses are. I mean, that, that's like basic stuff. That's stuff that like you should, if you know that, you're going to probably 
beginning at least to be quote unquote in your in your interview like you that, that is so foundational that if you actually master those things i mentioned you'll be in pretty good shape to then be in excel right you excel by practicing look at yourself in the mirror do you slouch i tend to lean to the right in a very annoying manner so i'm very aware of that but i only realized that because i looked in the mirror right think about your timing your pace record yourself and then talk to friends and colleagues you know we obviously offer that service but if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But get someone you trust to give you really good feedback. And then obviously professional assistance, as we mentioned. Okay. So there are things like Toastmasters. You know, we help people do that. But find a way to get structured support any way you can. Mm-hmm.